and here is your guest host, Corey Truax. Good morning. Welcome to hour number two of the Tuesday, the Valentine's Day edition of Christian Worldview with Tony Beam. As Gary Miller just said, my name's Corey Truax. Amongst many other things, I get to serve the awesome people of Beachwood Church over in Greenville as their pastor for teaching. You can also find me at CoreyTruax.com. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Corey Truax, but not on TikTok or Snapchat because I'm a grown man. And we don't belong there on TikTok and, uh, and, and Snapchat. Also, uh, what was the other thing I wanted to tell you? Oh, yeah. Hey, the Corey Truax Show is on Saturday mornings, 8 o'clock, right here on WHRT and wherever you find podcasts. would love to talk to you there. I've got several things I want to do with you in our number two. But before we get to my agenda, let's stick with the show's agenda with our regular conversation that we have with the SCGOP chairman. His name is Drew McKissick. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you, sir? I am quite well. For someone who does what you do in South Carolina politics, it's about to be busy. Uh, I think we have a pretty big announcement coming tomorrow. And do so I want to ask you about that, just your general thoughts about our formal, former governor's announcement. And I'm hearing rumor of our current senator's announcement that he might have a big one soon. Uh-huh. So your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's going to get busy, no doubt about it. You know, South Carolina's got a unique place, obviously, uh, in the country and in the calendar when it comes to uh, nominating presidents. Uh, on both sides of the aisle, uh, and uh, of course on the Republican side, uh, we are the first in the South primary, uh, and we have traditionally sort of been the, uh, I guess, the gatekeepers to Super Tuesday. I guess would be a good way to put it. Uh, you know, we have four states that will vote before Super Tuesday of next year. So that'll be Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. Super Tuesday is the first Tuesday in March, so no other states are allowed to hold primaries or caucuses prior to that. Uh, and what that does is it gives candidates an opportunity to uh, campaign, get around, and show their wear, so to speak, in states that are smaller uh, geographically and also cheaper uh, to campaign in, in terms of you know TV markets and so forth. So you know before things you know become you know sort of wide open in the wild west after Super Tuesday, where you can have four or five or ten states going on one day and. It becomes way too difficult to get around and spread your message. You know, people are able to get a good look uh, at uh, at the candidates. And when I say people, I mean, in this case, here in South Carolina, our grassroots activists, our folks at the county uh, Republican Party level in events and so forth that we'll have around the state over the course of the next 12 months. Uh, so it'll be a great time to, you know, be able to vet those candidates. And, uh, you know, I'll point out that since 1980, the first time that we had this primary, uh, only one time have we not chosen uh, the person who was the eventual Republican nominee, and that was in 2012. Every other time, we've got it right. Uh, and, you know, folks in other states, particularly conservatives in other places, appreciate that about South Carolina. We do a good job of vetting the candidates and uh, choosing uh, usually the most conservative candidate who can win. Uh, and, of course, now, like as you point out, it's getting busy. We have a lot of candidates who are either getting in or talking about getting in or thinking about getting in. Uh, former Governor Haley's going to be making an announcement this week. Uh, that will officially make two. As you point out, Senator Scott uh, is making a lot of moves right now in that direction. Uh, I know he's hiring a lot of folks, uh, you know, sort of in the political world. You know, we hear about this kind of stuff. You know, it's a small world, so to speak. Uh, so, you know, I think it's a good chance that he actually does make that move at some point. And then you've got other folks, everybody from, you know, Governor DeSantis in Florida to Governor Yunkin in uh, Virginia to Mike Pompeo to Mike Pence to Larry Hogan to, I, I mean, there's, there's a long list. I would say at least at least 
10 to 12 that are really giving it serious consideration right now. And if I had to set a over-under line on how many candidates actually file for our primary here in South Carolina, I would say it's probably eight, I think is a good number. So I wrote down three questions to ask you about primary season. Number one question was, is this going to be this chaotic 20-person field again? But I like that number. If you're if you're setting the over-under at eight and you would only take maybe a little yeah. bit on the over, that feels way better than the horrific chaos of 2016 <laughs> where there were four hours of debates with 20 people, yeah. uh, the, the big table, the little table. Yeah. That, that's much more fun. So let me take that uh, question off my list. Question two, do, do you know if we are a, a winner-take-all primary or are we proportional yeah. in how we reward delegates? No, so we're winner-take-all, but it's, it's staggered. So we are what we call winner-take-all by congressional district and winner-take-all statewide. And just to simplify that, we have 50 delegates from South Carolina, three per congressional district. So we have three congressional districts. So whichever candidate wins a plurality in either of those seven districts gets those three delegates. And whoever wins a plurality statewide gets the balance of the delegates statewide. Uh, the other states, the other three states, Iowa, New Hampshire, and uh uh, Nevada are proportional. And I just as your opinion, do we do you like it that way? I don't really have a strong opinion. Is is there a yeah. advantage or disadvantage well, doing it? I mean, the, the the reason why it was done that way here in South Carolina years ago was it was a way to attract candidates to want to come and campaign here. So, you know, when things are proportional and you have a relatively, I would say, smaller number of delegates, and our our delegation has gotten bigger since we first. Uh, Proportionally, proportionally to other states since we first started the primary in 1980 uh, because we have additional delegates that we're awarded based on do you control the state uh, House of Representatives, the state Senate, do you have the governor, do you have both senators, and do you, how many congressmen do you have? So they're what they call bonus delegates. The better you do as a party in your state, the more delegates and the more of a say that you actually get. So over the years, we've gotten, we've become, I would say, a medium-sized state in terms of the size of our delegation. But it was initially done to attract the attention of candidates to make them want to come here and spend money. You know, instead of something that's proportional, you know, they get 20% of the vote, they get 20% of the delegates. But if they came in here and 20% was enough to win, hey, all of a sudden it's worth your time. Got it. Uh, so that's why it was done that way, and uh, it's, it's worked fine for us ever since. One more question on primary season, and then I'm going to change topics. So sure. Drew McKissick gets GOP presidential candidates in front of him, and the topic in the room is should we spend more time trying to draw distinctions amongst each other or just put all of our fire on the job the current president of the United States is doing? What does Drew McKissick counsel them? Well, yeah, obviously you have to let people know what you believe. Uh, So when I say there's there's a thing called comparative politics, which sometimes becomes a euphemism for negative campaigning. Uh, I mean, I prefer... I prefer that they ignore and stay away from the negative campaigning. Obviously, they need to put themselves out there, what they've done, what they believe, why they think that they are qualified. I would counsel them to spend a lot less time on why they think the guy or gal standing next to them is not qualified. Uh, and in terms of that, keep all their fire trained on Joe Biden. Uh, you know, but, but again, obviously, you know, we talked about you know, our, our, our activists here being able to vet the candidates. Well, that's kind of hard to do unless we know a little bit of the details about why they believe what they believe, their general political philosophy, and then again in terms of their experience. Yeah, that's where um, I, I lean as well. I know there's the old 
and this might be uncomfortable because it's you on the phone, but I don't consider myself a Republican. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like the partisan line, but right. I, I do think this is funny. I think it's Ronald Reagan who gets a, a credit for saying the 11th commandment is don't attack another Republican. Yes. There is some... Yeah, thou shalt not speak ill of thy fellow Republican. That's it. There is some <laughs> There is some wisdom in that. I mean, there's, there's got to be some boundaries. If they go... Yeah. If they go George Santos sure. on you, then you call them out and go, "Dad, this dude's weird," and we don't we don't like this weirdo. But Correct. for the most part, there's you, you put some parameters on it. All right, I had another question for you. Do I recall? Yeah. And tell me if I'm just wrong. Is it precinct reorganization season? Is that something we should have on our radar? It is absolutely. So that starts in March. Uh, we have we organize at the precinct level in March, county level in April, state level in May. You know, party organization in South Carolina is basically it's a pyramid. Uh, it's a structure we go through, uh, a process we go through by law every two years. Uh, and we have 2,300, give or take, precincts at the bottom of that pyramid. So every other March, we open the door and reorganize those precincts. Anybody who wants to become a part of the party can bring their driver's license and voter registration card, uh, show up at the meeting, uh, run for a delegate position, uh, run for an officer position at the precinct level, or support other friends who want to do so. Uh, and then those delegates go on to the county convention uh, in April, uh, where we elect county officers and state delegates in the state convention in May. And these are also the people who, you know, two years from now, will get back together to elect delegates to the national convention, who will nominate the president of the United States. So think of it as a large pyramid, but it's the organization, it's the way we put the structure together to actually build the campaign infrastructure to then win the next election. So this is a two-year process we go through to put together organizational structure, find the right people to put in the right volunteer roles to put a good political organization together, recruit the candidates, raise the money that's necessary to then win campaigns in 2024. I want to emphasize that really quickly for our listenership. Then I just want to give you the mic mm-hmm. for anything else you want to say that we need to have on our radars, and we'll we'll call it a day. Sure. Um, I, well, I, I, well, I was just going to say, by the way, in terms of uh, the reorganization process, I forgot to mention you can go to scgop.com slash volunteer and get your name on that list, and we will send you an email, uh, numerous updates to remind you and encourage you to actually show up at those meetings in March. So uh, please do that, uh, scgop.com slash volunteer, scgop.com slash volunteer. Here's where, where I stand on this. Uh, man, I, people complain a lot. It is a cynical time, and it's one of the more common questions in what I do, because I'm on stages with mics in my face all the time. People ask, well, what can we do? Someone just told you, all right? If you don't like the party you're in, if you don't like the direction it's in, if you don't like the way things go politically, you actually have to do something. We believe in personal responsibility. That's part of a biblical worldview. You're responsible for you. And this is a uh, Jeremiah 29 concept that uh, you pray and work for the city in which you live. One of the ways you do that, you show up to a local precinct. It's probably less than a dozen people in a room. It's not an intimidating thing. You you show up and get to work. So let me just emphasize that for our folks. If you're a complainer, show up. Uh, so that we can start getting to work. That's right. Uh, Mr. Well, Dr- Go ahead. The if, I could throw, if I could throw a piece of scripture out there, Proverbs, and this is something that's stuck with me for a long time, and I've made it sort of a motto. Proverbs twelve twenty three uh, tells us, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Hmm. So if we've got something that we think we're under tribute about, we've got something to complain about, you know, the Bible not only diagnoses a problem, but it tells us how to fix it. That yeah. is, we need to be diligent. We need to be diligent in this civic process that God's blessed us with here in this country. In this case, the ability to get involved in a local political party and have more influence over your elected officials. Yeah, that's a good word. The uh, The final word is yours, sir. Anything else we need to know or have on our radar uh, before we call today? 
I think that's right now. That's enough. I think you get you know again, reach out to other folks in your church and other folks you know. Encourage them to go be a part of the party. Scgop dot com slash volunteer. Email it to folks. Post it on Facebook. Encourage them to be a part of an organization that can actually have an impact on the things that they care about. Political parties in and of themselves don't stand for anything. People stand for something. Yeah, that's good. And that's the important thing. If the right people are involved in the party, then it stands for what we want it to stand for. That's a good word. That is Drew McKissick. He runs the South Carolina GOP. You can find more at scgop.com slash volunteer. Mr. McKissick, thank you for the time this morning. Thank you. Have and a good one. We'll talk to you later. Controversy abounds after Sunday night's Super Bowl. I'm not talking about a holding call that too many people are emphasizing as definitive of that game. I'm talking about two ads that were aired, one in the first half, one in the second half, by a group called He Gets Us. Months ago, I'm talking months ago, on the Corey Truax Show, I talked about it. I try to be early on these things because I want you to be prepared. That's one of my broadcasting themes, not just entertaining you or educating or enlightening, but let's, let's prepare for what's coming. I want to give you my trajectory on those ads, but first let's just do the facts. The first of those ads, you probably saw, was a bunch of kids doing sweet things for each other and just being really loving. It was inter, uh, inter-ethnicity type of affection often, but it was kids being kind. And the, the punchline of the ad was, Jesus doesn't want us to act like adults. It was be childlike. Be a, maybe that's a childlike faith, but there was obviously something they were selling there that is be kind to one another. Children are often just kind to one another, and they don't see the kinds of differences and distinctions that adults do. Ad number two was illustrative of one of the the moods of our country. We're enraged. We're a rage machine. I find that exhausting. I find that emotion exhausting. I can't hold on to anger long, not because I'm virtuous, but because I don't have the emotional energy to just stay angry. But we can. As a culture, we can go from morning till night just seething angry about what other people think or do. That's what cable news is. Cable news gets up and says, can we just get you to hold on to your anger all day? If you'll stay here, we'll keep firing synapses into your liberal brain to tell you how crazy Marjorie Taylor Greene is and how insane this Republican bill is in this obscure state that's never going to pass. And if you go over to Fox, they're going to tell you, we will keep you angry at the liberal horde that's coming to destroy your world. We are an angry people. If I can just quick give you a quick word on that. Uh, biblical worldview, Christian worldview, that's not who we are. If you walk around angry, you're not walking around in the Christian life. Be free. Well, you don't have to be angry. You don't have to be bitter. You can you can have an optimistic look because your op, your look is not just for your country. It's for eternity. You don't see enemies. You see opportunities to win people over, not just hit wins over them. We don't have to be angry. But that's the commercial was illustrative of our national rage, and it showed everybody angry. Again, inter-ethnicity, inter-ideology. No matter who watched that commercial, you would see everyone is angry. Right, left, white, black, liberal, conservative, everyone's just so angry. And the punchline of that one was, Jesus loves the people you hate, love your enemies. That's the facts of the case. Those Those were the things that were on TV. Now, rewind. Months ago, I found out some originally anonymous wealthy people were going to spend $100 million total dollars, I think it's more than that now, on advertisements to, quote, rebrand Jesus, that Jesus needed a rebrand, that the church in the United States had 
had damaged the brand of Jesus through some madness. Certainly, the online, the on TV fake healers and the wealth and uh, the health and wealth gospel people, those who overly politicized Jesus. There is a, a branding problem with Jesus. So let's just restart. This is what they said. Let's restart the conversation about Jesus with this ad campaign, and we're going to call it "He Gets Us." Uh, to get people to start talking about Jesus. I will admit, I I came to it skeptically. I came to it skeptically because, well, first I assumed, that's the Mormons. Only the Mormons have that much money. And they're the ones who do stuff like this. This is probably super Mormon. I found that it wasn't the Mormons. It, it is mostly, I would put in their category, conservative-ish Christians Consider some of the main money behind it are the Hobby Lobby people. The Hobby Lobby people went to war for you. They went to war against the contraception mandate and the Affordable Care Act all the way to the Supreme Court, and they won. I would not call the Green family of Hobby Lobby theologically dead. They're not a deep family, but they, they, they gave you the Bible Museum. For the most part, this money comes from conservative-ish. Some of them are squishy, conservative-ish. Christians or evangelicals. But I came to it skeptically and went to their website. I saw the themes they were picking up. and you know, I, I'm not a fan of that theme he gets us. Now, he does. He knows our cares. You can cast your cares on him because he cares for you, First Peter says. We have a sympathetic high priest, I think it says in Hebrews, that there is no trouble you have encountered. There is no stress you have felt that he has not felt. He does get you. That's true. It, it sounds, for my liking, a little squishy. You know, it's... We love clarity. People like me love clarity. And here's what I found first about the He Gets Us campaign. Their advertisements felt incomplete. It's not that they what they were saying was wrong. They weren't saying wrong things or implying wrong things, at least as I first saw it. They were just saying incomplete things. That yes, there's a the part of Jesus that you are illustrating of radical, a, a radical love, a radical giving of oneself to go pursue the sinner. Yeah, that's absolutely radically Jesus. And once he gets the sinner, he will say to the woman at the well, the the man you're married, even the man you're living with now isn't your husband. He'll say to the woman caught in adultery, "Now, who, who's condemned you? Yeah, now get up and go and sin no more." He'll say to the sinner, "Now I'm I'm coming for you. I I love you. I have my affection set towards you, and here's the call to repentance." So it's not that I saw them originally as wrong. I saw them as incomplete. They weren't giving the full message. And then I saw a second problem. That in their church search function, like if you if you want to talk to someone else about Jesus, let me refer you, there seemed to be no guardrails. Like you could get to somebody who is not a Christian, an LGBTQ affirming church. Uh, a church that's about social justice and not the gospel. So the guardrails on who they were, tr they weren't keeping the right people out. And let, me, let me say that out loud. I'm not bashful about that. That's part of Christianity. We have really clear boundaries. If you don't hold to core tenets of the faith, you're not in. Now, you need to change to come in. The, the institution of the church doesn't change to invite you in. You change, and then you come in to Orthodox Christianity. And I, I didn't find that the He Gets Us people were being careful enough about being gatekeepers, about who might re receive referrals. Now, there are people that I adore. Listen to me, because some of you might be listening. 
some of the people I adore that hate this campaign. They can't stand it. There are people I adore who really, really like it. And I wonder if I cannot find a middle way, because I'm not in the middle. I tend towards still skepticism towards this campaign. But I wonder if we can just creatively think about what's happened here. Because here's, here's something I noticed. Sunday night during the Super Bowl and then Monday morning, you know who seemed to hate that second ad with all the anger in it? The left. The secular progressive left seemed to hate that ad. Some of them were doing it in disingenuous ways, like, well, I know Jesus wouldn't spend $10 billion on a, on a commercial. You know nothing of the sort. I can't stand people who don't know Jesus telling me about him. They tell me about his character. You know nothing of him, and you're trying to preach to me about his character. Or they'll say, like Alexander Ocasio-Cortez tweeted something like, I know something Jesus wouldn't do is put a smiling face on fascism. I don't even know what that means. I have no idea how she got to fascism in those ads. No idea. But there is some, does that give, if you have a pause about the He Gets Us ads, if you thought like some people to my, actually I don't think there's anybody to my right, but if people that are on the right said, well that first ad, or maybe it's a second ad that had like immigrants come, it was one of the ads, maybe not a Super Bowl ad, where, oh yeah, that's it. There's an ad that says Jesus was a refugee. And it shows, you know, fentanyl crisis, stuff at the border, and so people on the right are arguing, or they're arguing, they're arguing for open borders. I don't, I don't think they are. I don't think those images mean they're at, they're arguing for open borders. This is a, I mean, let me say clearly, the the Bible's principles are for nations. Nation states are God's idea. We are not an inter, an interconnected one world faith. That's not how Christianity works. The faith is interconnected throughout the world, but God ordains nations, and I don't think they're commercial at all. Made that argument against it. Here's my point. The Jesus was a refugee commercial got folks on the right mad. I don't know how or why, totally, but secular left also hated it. Does that give you on the right, does it give you any pause that you might want to rethink your opposition, at least your vociferous opposition to the He Gets Us campaign? Because come to some key words here. I still think the campaign is incomplete. They do not provide the full gospel. They don't provide the resources to get you to the full gospel. But are they heretics? Did they commit heresy for being incomplete? And for some of you, the answer is yes. They are absolutely heretics. They're outside the faith. They should be rejected because they gave an incomplete message. If that's your stance, I love you. I don't know if I agree. We're in the family together. Hope you don't exclude me from your family because I, I don't want to call them heretics yet. There's a... A phrase in mental health world right now, it's clarity is kindness. And it is kind to be clear. It is unkind, I would say, of the he gets us people to not be clear. I would just give you this final thought. I think the people who did the he gets us campaign did it in good motivation. They may have done it poorly. They definitely did it differently than I would have done it. But there is this net effect, and uh, the word I'm looking for is, I can't find it, but it's doing things for the sake of it. It's ends justify the, pragmatism, found the word. Thank you. Good job, Brain. Pragmatic reasoning is not moral reasoning. It's not biblical reasoning. But I know this is true. Some conversations about Jesus 
began because of those ads. 210 million people watched the Super Bowl. Some subset at least asked a question, Googled something. If they went to the He Gets Us website, yeah, it's a free-for-all. They might run into me if they start Googling Googling around or people like us who have orthodox views. They might run into a crazy person. They put no guardrails around who they're going to run into if they start searching Jesus. But I, I am going to be thankful that even if some Christians did something poorly, that the Lord might redeem it. That he might use a really bad effort to start some conversations that we all do need to have. Recognize this, guys. The, the world in which you live, the people who are outside the faith, they come preloaded into conversations about faith. One, because they're Americans, especially in the South, they think they already know everything. It blows my mind how much people think they know about Christianity. They are ultimately ignorant about actual Christianity, but they think they're experts because they grew up in the church and dad was a deacon. Man, can we just recognize that people are coming preloaded with very negative impressions of Jesus in the church, and we would love the opportunity that even if the He Gets Us campaign is incomplete, that it might start some decent conversations. That's while I... That's, that's all I want to give you. I'd love to get your comments at one 660 9535 You can also find me on social media. Look for Corey Truax or email Show at gmail.com. We will go to the phones on that now with Robert. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Quite well. Glad you called in. I'm going to call in because I've been. I was listening to your show. We listen. We listen to this show every morning, anyway. And I was listening to your show. Show, and uh, I just wanted to say everything that you said and talked about was right on point. Well, I I take affirmation. No one's ego needs it less than mine. But when it comes, I'll, I'll take it. Thanks, Robert, for the call. Very much, Gene. I suspect you might have more critique for me. Well. Critique, not uh, it's, it's positive, I, I, not negative. I mean, come Great. on. Great, cool. I know you and I disagree on Donald Trump, but that's beside the point. I first off, uh, some comments that were made regarding the response of the pagan people, and I call that also uh, uh, people who call themselves Christians and are not born again. We cannot expect much understanding from them about Christianity. We agree about that. But the fact, and, and let me cite some scripture as paraphrase, the Word of God will not be changed. Paul wrote, uh, chained, uh, and it will not be changed. And in fact, in Isaiah, he says he sends out his Word to accomplish uh, what it will, and, and it will not return to him void. That's a truncated version, I think, of the passages in Isaiah 54 or 55. I, I, I didn't have time to look it up. You, you, you know those passages well, yes. I'm sure. yes. And this is what's going on. I, I, uh, I have uh, three brothers that are very active on the Internet, and I tell them, pull out the Bible. Don't get involved in paganized, secular uh, uh, commentaries. Pull out Scripture and respond with the Word of God. And their reply is, well, they're going to call me a religious fanatic. I said, praise God, be it so. So that the Word of God will have been, uh, they will have been exposed to the Word of God. And if they react in that way, uh, and, and even some of the commentaries I've heard that have gone on in response to the name Jesus, that's a good thing, because there is a sense of conviction. You know, uh, where was it? In John 14, Jesus said he would send the Holy Spirit, uh, and they would accomplish to convict the world of, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And that's what's going on here. And I love it. 
this is a good I mean good call Gene I don't have anything really to add to it we'll come to another call here in one second thanks Gene for it I also have on the Facebook live feed one comment I want to respond to that I think is helpful as we try to think through the he gets us campaign and I think something comes a little a little uh, one level down we'll do that in just a second first we're going to talk to Ira good morning sir we lost Ira and that is a tragedy is that is that Ira cool all right Ira good morning sir I'm glad you called yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. You see what's going on here now? Everybody is talking about Jesus in the same way they did in the in the Bible uh, with the Pharisees and, and, and all of them. Is he Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he? And the other people are saying, no, he isn't. The other ones are saying, yes, he is. And that's what we're doing today. No, and no matter what the commercial did, it got us talking so, about so, Jesus. That's part of my, my point, Ira. Thanks for, for saying it again. I'm not endorsing all the messages of these he gets us ads i think again it's incomplete they're not telling the entire story but might the lord use an imperfect effort that i think was good natured i don't think their their effort is to obscure the gospel i don't think that was their effort i think they had a good heart and they just did it poorly in a lot of ways to the facebook live feed i want to respond to this there was one comment that said he gets us campaign is pro amnesty pro gay inclusion in the church I want to sit on that for a second. I, maybe not even get to this Asbury revival to talk through that. One, they don't have that written down anywhere. And if I'm wrong on that, someone I mean, bring that document. I'm always happy to say I was wrong. If they have some kind of documentation that says we advocate for amnesty, I think this is this is instructive for making sure that we are Christian, not conservative. First, now I fully embrace. Christianity is going to have you lean towards American conservative th uh, ideology. It won't be fully aligned, but it's going to lean that direction the best we've understood, uh, especially classical, what we used to call classical liberalism, which morphed into conservatism over time, in a Christian setting. So before we are anything else, before we're Americans or conservatives, before that, we are Christians first. Yet there would be no, no way to include active, affirming, LGBT attraction inside the church. There's just clarity on the scriptures. There's a, a borderline here. And it's, it's why that he gets this campaign not having great guardrails on who they might refer people to or what churches they'll refer people to. It's why I was troubled by that. Because that's not a church if it's LGBT affirming. But on the other one, on amnesty, I'm not pro-amnesty. I don't see any kind of practical way that people here illegally are ever going to go back to their countries and then re-enter. So I'd like a penalty to be paid. I mean, I'd like a, a process where maybe they never become citizens, but they get a legal status. They never get to vote, but they stay under no threat of ever being deported. And again, they have to pay some kind of debt to, debt to society. I don't mind requiring English training. And if people who don't want to comply with that, th yeah, they can be deported. They, if you don't want to comply with the good grace of being forgiven for entering the country illegally, then yeah, you need to go. You're not grateful to the country for what it's done. But yeah, I, I don't know if you'd call that amnesty. I don't. Amnesty means full forgiveness. I'm saying penalty paid. And then again, I, I'm not for full citizenship, just legal status. But if, if someone decides your position on American immigration is at the same level as your position on homosexuality, that is turning conservatism into doctrine. I understand conservatism would say no amnesty, and I'm on board for that. 
But what if the Bible doesn't say that? Are you willing to hear it? What if the Bible would say to parts of your conservatism, you're wrong? No question the Bible says to, I think, basically all. Uh, I can't think of a way that secular progressive wokeism, secular leftism, the Bible rebukes it completely. What if before you're a conservative, the Bible has something that says your conservatism is wrong? I'm not, I, I'm not arguing that your position on amnesty is wrong, by the way. Again, the Bible is clear. We are for nations. We are for borders. That's a, if you are for an integration of North America, then integration or a, a disintegration of borders into one-worldism, you have an unbiblical position. The Bible rebukes you for your one-worldism. But to say that, that you would put someone outside the faith for being pro-amnesty, they might just be wrong. They might just have a biblically wrong view. And it's not the same level as being wrong on homosexuality. Because there is some ambiguity about what you're supposed to do with the sojourner. And if, if we try to put all of conservatives' principles, conservatism's principles, on the level of doctrine, like the creed stuff, death, burial, resurrection stuff, if we try to do that, then we've replaced our core. We're conservatives before we're Christians. And listen, I've been there. I've Go talk to 20-year-old Corey. 20-year-old Corey was a conservative before he was a Christian. The Corey you guys met almost 15 years ago on this station was a conservative before he was a Christian. Thank the Lord he pulled that idol from my hands. And it wasn't easy. He had to slap that hand a lot to get me to open it up and let it go. So I just want to toss that out there on, on all of our conservative positions. People might still be a believer and be in the family with you, and they're just wrong. They just think the wrong thing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they should just be rejected and they're out of the family altogether. Shane and Tom on the Facebook live feed, they are having a discussion right now over the show because I mentioned that this could be my last time on live radio. Uh, one of them mentioned you know, he's, he's been listening for 17 years. He's going to miss the show. And the other asked, wait, what's going on? So if you haven't heard... On March 31st, his radio talk will have its last broadcast day in this format. The, the signal will go on. There'll be a different format after that. If you want to stick with Dr. Tony Beam, as I hope you will, he's going to be doing a Facebook Live and YouTube show, also on his website. Uh, he'll have his own content, his own place for it. I think it's TonyBeam.com. Uh, you got you got time to prep. That won't happen until early April when he'll be doing that from his own place. If you want to stick with me, uh, my content has predated and will postdate WHRT. I'm at coretruax.com. You can find me on all the social media stuff as well. I wanted to talk about this Asbury revival, but maybe I will start with that personal note because unless I just get a random call over the next six weeks or so, this might be my last time on live radio. And it has meant the world to me. Up until 101 days ago, when I got to say I do to my bride, I will say it. This was my favorite part of life. Ah, Beachwood. I love Beachwood Church to, to my core. But when I found out I was doing the radio show, I think, I mean, Gary, you've been doing it long enough. This is special. Live radio is different mm -hmm. than anything you see on TV, any public speaking engagement, any scripted series, any movie. And guys, I, I do all of that stuff. I get to preach. It's the, it's the most important thing that I do. I, I have been the voice of... A growing university been its face in a lot of situations. 
in all of the situ all of the organizations I've been in in my adult life, I tend to end up being the one on stage with a mic in my hand, not because I'm special, but because I use words decently well. But none of them are as exhilarating as this. None of them are as, are as exhilarating as knowing my name's about to be said, and I need to talk for 12 minutes, and I better come up with a way to do it. And not only do I need to talk for 12 minutes and not ever, not ever be at a loss for words, I need to do it in a way that honors you. This is, this is radio done, not for my name and renown or because I like to hear the sound of my own voice, but because when you're doing Christian radio, you're doing it for the listener. You have stuff to do. You need to have, you need to have information, and then you need to have ways to explain it. It's one of oh guys, those of you who have said this to me over these fifteen years, it is my favorite compliment. My favorite compliment was, I always thought what you what you thought, but I didn't know how to say it. I could just never get my words together, and you taught me how to say it. You light my brain on fire when I hear that from somebody. You taught me how to say the thing I already thought, because I don't have special thoughts. My mind's not any more special than yours. I might have just found a way to say something that's a little more effective or a little more concise. And so we we do radio for the listener. It is operating without a net because we are live, and I love it. It's why my show is so, is so different. I sit in my, my third bedroom in my house now overlooking Dayton Street and easily. And if I do make a mistake, I'll just press stop. If something sounds weird, I can just re-record that. It's it it's fun. I love my show. It's just way less exciting than this. There is nothing like live radio. We've, we've entered into a world of, of information dissemination that a lot of people now call narrowcasting, where you're not looking for a broad audience. We don't broadcast. We narrowcast. We find the few hundred people, couple thousand people that will listen to us. We, we say things to them that will keep them coming back, just, just enough people to monetize it so that we can be a pseudo-celebrity instead of working our normal jobs. Well, I never wanted to do that. This, this idea of the spoken word, it's, it's been powerful for humanity throughout history. You know, it's, it's one of the reasons I think we don't honor our elders like we used to. The, the village elder the ancient elder in a people group was venerated not because of what he could produce. His body was broken down. He couldn't produce anymore. He was venerated because he was often the guy with the most stories. He's been around the most. And even in pre-literature cultures, he's seen the most. So he has the most stories. He has the most stuff we can learn from. And as we became highly literatureized, so the, the, the stories are written down, and then a digitized world where the stories are plenteous, it's become a situation where we don't listen to our elders much anymore. Because our assumption is, my phone knows more than they do. Chat GPT will tell me more than my, my granddad can. I can definitely learn more from the literature. And so we, we don't value the storytelling anymore that our older folks gave us because we're getting our stories elsewhere. But the spoken word has been this powerful tool for dissemination before we ever had a written language. And that's what talk radio does. And the fact that you can talk back. So I'm, I'm going to pin a rose on me real quick, all right? So if you don't like that kind of stuff, tune out for 30 seconds. We do the Facebook Live here, not because I did it, but I did it first. I walked in here one day and said, you know we can do this on Facebook Live? Let's start doing this on Facebook Live. And now we have a, a vibrant little community that pops in and out on Facebook Live. It's fun. I just want to, I'll, I'll say 
I guess I will say this because I want you to stick with me too. I, I don't know how much longer I'll I'll do the podcast. I might do it for for forty or fifty years. You never know what other opportunities for broadcasting come later. But I love doing this. I'm grateful to all of you who have been consistent and persistent to stick around. And I think in these media circles, we're going to need each other. I, hmm. I don't know where we're headed, guys, as a country. It's not my eschatology, that's your theology of end times. It's not my theology of end times that everything has to get terrible so Jesus will come to rescue us. I don't think that. I'm not a, what's called a premillennial rapture guy. Actually, don't freak everyone out. Actually, don't really think there's an, a, a secret rapture. I think Jesus is just coming back to set up his kingdom. So, what, because I don't think that, I think things can actually get better. I think if the church gets serious... If we Christians get serious about being Jesus where we work, raising our kids aggressively, and not letting their tablets raise them, not letting the culture raise them, not letting the schools raise them, because we're the ones having the most kids, we can have a generation of effective Christians coming up behind us. If we start having an ethic of our kids that we're not just here to protect them, we're actually here to use them as weapons for the kingdom. We live in a time where we parent kids to protect them. All we want to do is keep them safe. God didn't call us to safety. God called us to grow the kingdom. Sometimes that's risky. Guys, there's coming, there's coming a time maybe where we never have to worry about persecution or our voices being silenced. That might be the case. That will never happen politically first. It will happen in your home first. Actually, it'll happen in your heart first, then your home, in your school, in your business, and how you conduct yourself publicly as we make more people Christian. You want a Christian nation? Make the people Christian. They'll start choosing Christian leaders, and they will do Christian things. But let's say that's not what the Lord has for us. Let's say the Lord has the United States under judgment, and we are in decline because of it. We are going to need each other. We are a people, when I say we, I mean Christians. We are a people very well acquainted with being the minority voice in a radically secular place. But as we've done that in the past throughout time and geography under various governments, that's how we did it. We supported each other. We gathered together however we could. And with this with this with this world, like it's we're not putting secret Jesus fish signs in the sand so you know what secret place to meet. We're going to have YouTube, we're gonna have websites, we're gonna have internet. I mean WHRT has been formative in my life in a very significant way. I'm grateful to Gary for allowing that. Dr. Beam's original invitation on February the fifth, two thousand eight, to walk in the studio to do what has been one of the greatest privileges of my life. We're going to need to stick together, though. So stick with Dr. Beam as he starts his new project in April. Find me at CoreyTruax.com or anywhere on social media. I'm grateful to you for listening. Thank you for doing it. Dr. Beam will be back in the morning. Thanks for listening. <laughs>